let's start with this idea and see if we can peel the skin off this banana. You want to? Here's the idea. A tolerance for failure is a precondition for success. Hey everybody, Todd Conklin, Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. How are you? Well, it is time to think about how wonderful the world is. I know this is crazy, and I've talked about it before, but the United States, we're just in the period of time, the Thanksgiving period of time. Canada's right behind us, they're right ahead of us. I can't ever keep up with that. I like that holiday. Well, I, I like any holiday that celebrates food. I mean, that's I'm I'm all about that. But I also like the fact that that holiday force functions a pause with not a lot of baggage. There's not a lot of baggage to Thanksgiving. I mean, there's some contemporary baggage around colonialism, and we can talk about that. I mean, that's that's a that's a big topic. But it's kind of a free way to say you ought to think about what you're grateful for. And I'm not sure, like, speaking for myself, because that's all I can talk for, I'm not sure how often I remember the importance of gratitude. I mean, I try to remember it a lot because it strikes me as a really important component of sanity, of, of, of living your life. And I think just being aware of all the things that are happening that are good is encouraging it, it it builds confidence and it helps build capacity and those are two things we care very much about and in essence that gratitude that appreciative approach is not very different from asking the question what's happening at work when nothing bad is happening at work it force functions you to recognize the things that are going right and the things that are going right i mean i think that's a relatively important part of our sanity. I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I've thought about it a bunch. It's easy to fixate on all the stuff that's wrong, all the crap that goes badly, all the things you haven't yet done, all the things you need to do, all the ways people have disappointed you. I mean, those are pretty easy to fixate on, and they're burning, strong, powerful, lasting images. But I'm not sure they're terribly helpful. I mean, just given the choice, I, I actually think that choosing, even for a brief moment, to sit back and think, what's gone well? What, what's happening the way I want it to happen? What's doing, what's surprised me pleasantly? Those are pretty important things to think about. I mean, I'd, I would suggest the power of having gratitude is probably more about creating a world that's a, a more fun and rewarding place to live, which we're all about, but also about really maintaining a close watch on mental health. And I don't know if you're seeing it. I mean, there's always been a strong connection between mental health and safety, but I'm seeing more and more workplace suicides, uh, almost always under the guise of some kind of industrial accident. I mean, the, where where a worker has chosen for whatever reason, mostly because they're probably at the end of their coping mechanism, to finish their life at work, and it happens. I mean, it's 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 something we should probably talk about because 
that connection between wellness, between mental health and safety, is a strong one. And many of you, many, many, many of you have been thinking about this for a long time. But you're starting to see it kind of come together. And it's interesting because I think about Thanksgiving, giving thanks. And sure, I think about pumpkin pie and mashed potatoes and all those kind of things as well, because why not? But mostly what I think about is that this is an opportunity. It's a pause button, if, if we can use that terminology, that says take a moment and think about the things that you're happy you have. And I actually think there's a pretty powerful consequence. I almost said unintended consequence, but you could just, you could you could probably sense me sucking that back in before I said it. there's a powerful consequence. I think it's intended is why I didn't say unintended. There are certainly incredibly powerful unintended consequences for doing this as well. But I think the intended consequence is to kind of reset your compass so that you're starting from a place that's more beneficial, an appreciative way to understand your life. And the same holds true for work. I mean, it's it's a big part of work as well. And I think that idea is a powerful idea, and it's one I'm thinking about. The other thing I've been thinking about, and you tell me if you find this interesting, is I've been asked kind of a lot recently to actually have a workshop where we talk specifically about investigations. Now, I, I can tell you what it w- would not cover. It's not a workshop that tells you how to do an investigation or a workshop that tries to sell you a tool or a software or a program to do an investigation. No, it wouldn't be that. What it really is is a workshop where we talk about how to think about and frame the investigation process so that it has the highest potential benefit for the people involved and the organization simultaneously. And it's funny because I was talking to some people who do lots of investigations, and I asked them, is this something that would be interesting? And to a person, everyone has told me, yeah, I'm really interested, but I don't want to do a class, and I'm not going to teach how to do an investigation, but I will show and talk about what I learned in a lifetime of doing investigations around the globe. And I actually think that's a pretty cool idea. I mean, I don't know what you guys think about it, but I, I think it's an interesting idea. And in my mind, I, I think we could probably have a, a workshop where we did kind of fundamentals of investigations. Um, and by fundamentals, I mean the, sort of the basics. And we could use Eric Hallnagel's stuff, because he's got some really interesting stuff, really actually powerful stuff on that, and then base it upon people who've done many, many investigations, who have sort of had the trial by fire. They've been through the regulator. In fact, some of the people I'm talking to were the regulator, so they understand that completely. And maybe build a case study that we take two days or three days and kind of work through that case study and talk about all the optional ways to see that potential to do event learning. Because, I mean, I don't know if you've thought about this a lot. Uh, I mean, clearly people are thinking about it because it's 
it's really hitting my inbox in a big way. But an investigator is more like an artist than they are like a detective. And it's because of all the potential biases that exist in every time we do investigations. And so you have to be really careful to manage multiple viewpoints of an event at the same time. And you do that not to do three or four different methods of event learning, but to actually combat the potential bias that the team's going to have for the event. And, uh, and it's a, it's a great technique. And if you haven't done it before, it's not terribly difficult to learn, but if you're interested in investigations or doing investigations or becoming a part of an investigation team, uh, or if you're doing investigations now and you just want to kind of uh, a recharge, kind of a, a quick little hit, maybe that's a good workshop for you. I mean, stay tuned and hold me to this comment. Part of the reason I'm talking about it with you is to kind of make it a commitment because uh, I'm pretty, I don't want to say I'm lazy. I'd like to say I'm efficient. And uh, given the opportunity to not do something, I would take that opportunity. But this one, I don't know. It's, it's hit the, it's hit my radar screen a bunch of times. So it must be relatively important. Um, And so maybe we ought to, think about that because maybe that's a good way to make that happen so think about that as we progress through because i think that's a big part of what happens everything's a-okay here um getting ready for the end of the year which is always an exciting time and then for next year and next year man there's a bunch of cool stuff going on i'll see you maybe in uh australia if if you're there uh i could see you at the the boeing safety conference if you're there i mean I, I have all sorts of interesting stuff that just happened. I'm not sure how it happened because I wouldn't pay any attention. And if you don't pay attention, stuff happens when you least expect it. But let's jump into today's topic because today's topic's relatively interesting. So let me hit that quote again. A tolerance for failure is a precondition for success. Man, that is a powerful piece of information. A tolerance for failure is a precondition for success. Now, let's take that apart a bit because I think this is an important shift in what kind of doing safety differently offers the world. And that is we've tended to have a really strong bias towards prevention. The belief that every accident can be prevented, which is a powerful message, I mean, and and your organization probably says it. Lots of organizations say you can walk down a hallway of almost any place and see a sign that says it. What's amazing about that, I mean, there's a lot that we can talk about there. But what's amazing about that is it sort of sets up this bias towards prevention. That if something bad happened, it happened because we failed to prevent it. Well, so first of all, not every accident is preventable. There are accidents. There are unintentional deviations from an expected outcome. And secondly, if we could prevent the accident, we will prevent the accident. We would have prevented the accident. We want to prevent the accidents. We spend nights and weekends thinking of ways to prevent accidents. And quite honestly, we prevent a crapload of accidents from happening all the time. The challenge is, is when you set the standard at perfect, every accident is preventable, then what that does is it increases your need to prevent, but it decreases the need 
to be resilient. Does that make sense? So if you're really good at preventing accidents, you don't have to be very good at recovering because you never have accidents because you're really good at preventing them. And because you never have accidents, you never need to have any margin, any recoverability, any tolerance in the system for for failure. And yet we then go to do work in a world that is imperfect, filled with imperfect equipment, imperfect people, imperfect customers, imperfect support systems, imperfect business systems, imperfect SMS systems, imperfect everything. Everything is imperfect because all systems run degraded and all systems have problems. And when failure happens, we're caught by surprise. And that, I think, is an important part of understanding the journey your organization is on. The most important thing you can do is build tolerance in your system for variable outcomes. Build tolerance for failure. Because if you don't have tolerance in your system for failure, well, that's the difference between a dry twig and a green twig. A green twig, when you fold it, it bends. It's malleable. It's resilient. It'll spring back to life. But a dry twig, when you bend it, it snaps because it's brittle and fragile and non-recoverable. Now, you have to think about not the twigs, although I'm pretty proud of that metaphor. What you have to think about is what sets you up to be in the twig space. And it really is this notion of tolerance. Building latitude, building margin, let's use the word, building capacity for variation because you know you're going to have variability. You know it's a part of the system. And so we have to build a system that understands that failure is normal and we must build space for the expected failure we know we will have. We don't know when. We probably don't know who. We may not even know how, but we know it will happen. Now, that's moving us from this prevention bias, which nothing's wrong with the prevention bias. And actually, we're quite good. Over the years, we've gotten really good at preventing bad things from happening. But it's moving us from the prevention bias to a much stronger bias towards capacity, towards recoverability, towards failing safely. And it's funny because people talk to me about this all the time. How can I get my group to fail safer? How can I build in the belief that failing safety is an important idea? Well, the question I would ask first is, I'm not sure you can ask people to fail safer. What I think you have to ask is how fragile is your system or how tolerant is your system for the inevitable failures you're going to have? And if it comes in really fragile, if it's really brittle, you can write the ending. It's going to end, it's going to end bad. It may even end catastrophically. But if your system has some flex to it, some recoverability, some capacity, it can take some variation, bounce back from it, kind of the link-off model. And if you don't know what that is, look it up. The link-off model is it's kind of a stretchy, I always think of it kind of like a rubber band. The event happens, the, the, the black line stretches, and then recovers stronger, right? 
that notion, that anti-fragile notion, that's a term we haven't heard for a while, that's really an important way to think about and understanding how to build systems that are actually resilient and reliable. So as crazy as this sounds, but I have to say it all the time, the safest, most resilient, most reliable in the organi- organizations in the world have accidents. The difference is, is when a failure happens in the safest, most resilient organization in the world, they've built in recoverability. They can detect and correct and learn. And so our goal is never perfection. I mean, it's, it's never going to be perfection. Perfection is not something that we should even strive for. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Our goal is to build systems that can tolerate variation. They can tolerate failure. They can tolerate human error. Think rumble strips. You're driving along. You drift out of the lane. You hit the rumble strip. Your tires start making a noise. It alerts you that the drift is happening, but it alerts you early enough so that you still have the ability to either correct back into the lane or safely pull off the road. You can recover. And managing that ability to recover, that's everything. So we have to think about And I think our job is pretty important. We have to deliver this message so that it's sincere, so that it's serious, and so that it's understood. A tolerance for failure is a precondition for success. We won't succeed by expecting perfect performance, but we will succeed by expecting imperfect performance and preparing our systems, our processes, our practices, our organizations for this extensible way to recover. And that is incredibly important. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Organizations have to get good at this because the world in which your organization lives is constantly changing and constantly giving us variation. So we must meet the need of the world. The world is not going to meet the need of our organization. That's a pretty powerful idea. And that, I think, is probably where we ought to be thinking about building tolerance into our systems. So instead of asking if this fails, no, instead of asking when this fails, let's ask, no, if this fails, man, I'm getting lost in my own metaphor. Instead of asking if this fails, yeah, that's right, probability, we should be asking when this fails. I corrected myself and got all confused because it's not a matter of probability, it's a matter of certainty. The failure will happen, and when it does, The test is, is our system able to absorb that? So one quick story. I was talking to some people, and they were talking about a fire that happened at one of their facilities. 
And it's a pretty big facility. There's, there's like 1,500 people that work there. And the facility had a fire, a, a real, honest-to-goodness, holy guacamole fire. And when the fire happened, the alert came out in time. The fire alarms sounded. And the entire facility evacuated without injury or event, all 1,500 people. Nobody was hurt. Nothing bad happened. And the fire department arrived simultaneously as the facility was evacuated and they put the fire out. And as we talked about this, they said, you know, that, that's a, it's a super serious event. And I said, yeah, oh yeah, that's a, yeah, it's a fire. Yeah. That, that qualifies as a super serious event. But I said to me, the learning is not that you had a fire. The learning is that you were able to actually exercise your protocols around evacuating the facility and notifying assistants, the bomberos, the, the firemen, and that really you could not make a drill that tested your ability to be resilient and tolerant better than what just happened. That's not the story of a failure, although there's a fire. That's a story of success. That's a celebration. And in fact, I would suggest there are many things to learn from this event. You definitely want to investigate the fire. And there are people there that will help you. Uh, you'll learn about the physics of the fire. You'll learn about how that fire happened and what caused that fire to take place and what fueled that fire. But at the same time, in parallel, I would also investigate the response to the fire. And what's interesting is one's going to be really fact-based and super interesting, and you'll probably learn a ton about fires. And the other, the other is going to be really important to understand what worked and why it worked. And then looking at the extent of those conditions throughout the rest of the enterprise globally and saying, do we have this dialed in at all of our other facilities like they did at this facility? You can see almost immediately, without me getting too preachy, that that's a function of tolerance. That system had enough latitude in it that when something bad happened, it offered enough margin, enough capacity, enough space so they could successfully evacuate the facility without injury, harm, or event. And to put icing on the cake, get the fire people in there in time to actually salvage the facility. That's a pretty good story, you guys. No matter how you cut it, there's a lot going on there that's right. And I think that's important for us to learn. It takes us right back. I'm not going to leave this because it's big. A tolerance for failure is a precondition for success. So that discussion is a pretty important discussion to have. I have it all the time. I mean, I talk about it all the time. If, if you come and tell me, hey, a person made a mistake and it had a really dire consequence, I will tell you, because I say this all the time, the least interesting part of that sentence is that the, perfect, the person made a mistake. The most interesting part is that one mistake could lead to a dire consequence. That's an organization. That's a process, a practice. That's a system that didn't have enough tolerance. And I want you guys to go out and test the tolerance of your organization. Think of ways to test organizational tolerance. 
see if you have enough capacity to manage some kind of weird variability. In a way, the pandemic was a pretty good example of a big, fat, global, universal test of organizational tolerance around the world. That's important. That's really important, actually. In fact, I would suggest that's vital to what we want to talk about and how we talk about the work we do. The ability to understand and build systems that have tolerance for the inevitable failure we're going to have. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can squeeze into a little bag. Be good to each other. Be kind to each other. Take care of each other. Tell your friends to listen to the podcast. They're all welcome. Cost you nothing. And uh, maybe it'll help. Until then, though, one last phrase. You know it. Ready? Be safe. <laughs>